Hey, good morning. Good morning. Let's say it again. Good morning. I mean, this is a great day to be alive, isn't it? Considering the alternative, this is a phenomenal day to be alive. It's a great day. In fact, I want to talk to you today about this is a great day to remember. You know, you ever have any trouble with remembering, th- remembering things? My, my wife and I, we play this game. The game is called, See How Stupid My Husband Is. Yeah, and what will she'll do is say, hey, do you want to go to the store and pick up two items? And I'll say, sure, I can pick up two items. What are those items? She'll say, it's lettuce and eggs. And I say, sweet, I'm out the door. And when I'm heading to the door, she says, wait, can you pick up one more thing? And I say, sure, what is that one more thing? And she'll say, it's flour. And I said, okay, now I have three things. And I, and I get them in my mind and I'm halfway to the store. She calls me again and said, oh, I forgot. There's one more thing. By the time I get to the store, I have this little mental note in my mind and I'm going through and I get three out of the four. And for some reason, I cannot remember the fourth one. Do you ever do that? Am I the only husband in the world that ever does that? You know, See, and, and my, my wife finds great joy in that, I think, because she can remember everything, because she can remember what I was wearing 25 years ago when I said that thing that I shouldn't have said. Um, she's great at it. But I, I always have, sometimes I, I have trouble remembering those things, and, and, and there's always that one item. Remember the, day, the 40 Days of Purpose? Um, that was a great book, wasn't it? It's still a great book. If you haven't read it, I would encourage you to read it. It's, it's a very, very good book, but it's built upon the idea that it takes 40 days or 42 days to actually develop a good habit, to get in the habit of remembering to do something every single day. And it takes you that long to put that into practice in your life. It's kind of like the first part of the year, like right now, I am doing phenomenal at eating well. I am working on my 40 days, and I'm going to do fantastic, and then the holidays are going to hit. And that's, when, that's my downfall. That's when all the, the chocolate comes in, and, the, and it's just incredible. Because and, when fall weather hits, don't you just want to eat pies and cakes and, and everything else? So it, it's just it takes a while to build a habit, but that book, 40 Days of Purpose, is, is designed to help us understand that it takes a while to build good habits in our lives, and, and it's focused on just remembering to do it. Paul understood this, and, and that, that each and every one of us have this battle in our lives to, to remember things that are important to us, not only physical, but spiritual as well. This is what Paul told Timothy in, in 1 Timothy 4.8. He said, bodily exercise only profits a little. That's why I don't do it very much. 
But they said, but godliness is profitable for all things, since it holds promise to the present life and also for the life to come. So exercise is of some value. The exercise will keep you healthy. Exercise will help you try to live longer. It will give you a better quality of life. But you have to remember that this life is short. It's temporal. And he said, so that, that exercise, that you discipline yourself, that you remember to stay in shape, it requires a lot of effort and energy developing good habits in your life. But he also said that, that spiritual discipline, that, that being spiritually fit, godliness, which is good deeds, is godly living, it's not only profitable in this life, but it's profitable in the life to come. It's important for us to understand that that we need to remember that if we want to have a phenomenal life here and a phenomenal life when the Lord comes back, he instructs us to live a good, godly life. There we go. I, I knew there was one out there. So... Paul talking to Titus, he, he's, he's set Titus up in the church and he's going to leave him to instruct the church and develop uh, leaders within the church. And in, in uh, Titus chapter 3, uh, verses 1 through 3, I want to look at those because it's so, or 1 and 2 rather, because it's so powerful that, that this is what Paul told Titus as he was uh, developing and structuring the church. He said, uh, Titus, Remind the people. What is, he, what is he saying? Remind the people. He's saying you need to remember. Why would he tell us to remind us? It's because we have a tendency to forget. Don't we? Let's be real. Don't, don't we forget? Don't, you, you, ever, you ever got up from prayer think, and reading your scripture and thinking, man, this is a great day. This is such a beautiful day. I love this day. I just love everybody in the entire world. And you're driving down the road, listening to one of your favorite songs, praising the Lord. Somebody cuts you off and you think, what a moron. And you revert just like that. It's important to understand that that we have a tendency to revert to a reliance on our own spirit, on our own ways, on our own attitude. And the daily grind wears us down and we can lose our eternal perspective. And Paul was telling Titus, Titus, you've got to remind the people. You have to constantly remind them that, that we can stray from godliness when we take our eyes off of the eternal prize. Keep reminding them. You know, and the scripture is replete with different ways that, that God reminds us. He uses ministers. He uses pastors to remind us that, to stay focused on God. 1 Corinthians 4.17 says this, For this reason I am sending you, Timothy, my son whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of the way of life in Christ Jesus. Ministers are designed, are equipped by God because when, when he led captive, captive, he gave the church, apostles and prophets, pastors, teachers, and these pastors, uh, myself included, we are designed and we are, we are commanded to tell people what they need to hear, not what they necessarily want to hear. 
My goal, my responsibility when I stand before the Lord, he is not going to ask me, now how many churches did you build? How big church did you build? How great was, the, was that church? How many missions trips did you take? He's just going to say, did you feed my people? Did you tell them what my word says? And it's important to understand, not only pastors, but mentors. You ever have somebody that speaks into your life? If you don't have somebody that can speak into your life, I would encourage you to do so. We have, we have a, a, a program that we've been running, and we haven't talked about it in quite a while, but I want to go back to it again this year after COVID, and it's called 321. And, and three, three is just find three people that, that are in your life that, that either could get closer to the Lord that you could mentor and, and you mentor them. And then find two people that are about in the same situation you are and, and encourage them and find one person that can speak into your life and allow them to do so. Man, it's powerful. It's important that we do that. It's not just on the spiritual issues of life, but on our day-to-day -day life, everybody needs somebody that will tell them what they need to hear. And they will do it with love and grace. Not only do ministers, pastors remind us, men, uh, mentors, uh, Paul told uh, Timothy, he said, for this reason I remind you to fan into flame that gift of God. Not only do they, but the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the living God. If you're a child of God and the presence of God is living in you, does not the Holy Spirit convict us and, and encourage us and guide us and direct us? Scripture says that he guides and directs us and leads us into all truth. This is what Jesus said of the Holy Spirit in John 14. He said, but the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. It's the Holy Spirit in us that will quicken us. That's why Jesus said, told his disciples, don't worry about what you're going to say. I'll give you the words when you get there. It's the Holy Spirit that reminds us. It's, it's mentors that remind us. It's, it's godly people in our lives that will remind us. It's pastors that, that remind us that we need to keep our eyes on the Lord. Would you go back to that scripture and stay there, please? Uh, we need to be, he said, reminded. What are we being reminded of? Number one, we, we're being reminded of things that we already know. If you're being reminded, it's not for something that you don't know. You can't be reminded for something you don't know. You're just instructed in something you don't know. But if you already know something, then you can be reminded about it. 2 Peter 1.12 says, So I will always remind you of these things, even though you know and are firmly established in the truth you now have. So it's reminding us of the things that we already know. Jude 1.5 says this, Though you already know this, I want to remind you that the Lord delivered his people out of Egypt, but later destroyed those who did not believe. Here's Jude, and he says, I want to remind you, I want to constantly remind you. And, and Jude was talking about, he, to his audience, about those that, that were out of Egypt, but died in the wilderness because they did not believe. And he said, I want you to remember, I want to remind you that God's provision is always there and to never lose faith. 
They died in the wilderness because they died from fear. You know what fear is? My, my daughter, uh, she tells her clients this, uh, and it's really great. Fear is actually false evidence that appears real. That's what, fa- that's what fear is, false evidence that appears real. When the children of Israel were standing in front of the Red Sea and they had the Egyptian army behind them, that, that sea looked real. That was real evidence, wasn't it? But it was false because they didn't realize the Egyptians didn't realize the God that, that they were serving. You're not getting it yet. When the children of Israel were walking around the walls of Jericho and they were looking at those walls and they were saying, man, they are so tall and they are so big. And here we are, just a ragtag group of, uh, of people and they're marching around the walls and, and the people within Jericho were thinking, these people don't even know what they're doing. And, and the Israelites were probably sitting over there thinking, I don't know how we can take this fortified city. And yet, they didn't know that false evidence that those walls were impenetrable, but, but God was in charge, and it was God's way. False evidence always appears real. And, and we need to realize that we are the children of the living God. I don't know what you're facing. I don't know what you're going through. But I do know this. If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is on our side, then it doesn't matter what opposition we're facing. I don't care how real that opposition looks. It's false evidence when it's standing in the way of God. Are you ready? It's false evidence when it's standing in the way of God. We are the children of the kingdom of heaven. And God commands us, reminds us, hey, you are children of faith. You're not children of fear. Paul instructs us that we are reminded to be, to be what? To be subject to rulers and authorities. And I, and I love I love the passage of scripture where it says, remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities and magistrates. That's just simply this, that he says, I want you to remind the people to be subject to laws, the authority of the law, and those that implement the law. Those three things. And it's really interesting. I want, I want you to be subject. Now the word subject is really pretty interesting too. He, he reminds us to be subject and subject simply means this, that, that, that you subject yourself, that you submit yourself, that you allow yourself to be under that authority. Paul said it this way in, in talking to the church in Philippi, referring to Christ in Philippians 2.7. He said, but he made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness or similitude of man. This simply means this, that Christ didn't have to come. He wasn't forced to come, but he willingly submitted himself to become one of us. He submitted himself. Our subjection is based solely upon our choice. It's a free will choice. If we choose to, to submit ourselves to the, to the authority and to the law, and let's, let's face it, how many like the fact that some of the roads around here are 50 miles an hour when they should be 75 miles an hour? 
But if I am driving 75 on a road, I won't mention the 408, that should be 75, and I think it's 60. And if I'm driving 75, and if I get pulled over, I don't have the right to tell that police officer, sir, your law is stupid. And I don't agree with its authority, and I don't agree with you. If I break the law, it's on me. I did that. Are you with me? Whether we agree with it or not, Scripture says, be obedient to the law. Now, there's a law of the Lord. There's a law of man. Which one is he talking about? Both. And the only time that we've ever been disobedient to the law of man is when it's in complete contradiction to the law of God. He said, so, so be, obey the laws of man when they do not usurp God's authority. Powers, the authority of the law. Remember David and Saul that David wouldn't touch the anointed of God, even though that Saul was not living in the way he should, David respected the authority that God had implemented. We, and then he says, pray for those that are implementing the laws, those magistrates, those that, that be obedient to rulers. This is what Paul told Timothy in chapter 2 of 1 Timothy. I urge you then, first of all, that the request, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for some people. For those that we like. For the party we vote for. He said, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone. For kings and all those in authority. Can I, can I, can I meddle just for a moment? You know I'm going to, but I'm going to be really nice about it. I think it's time for God's people to quit worrying about which party is in the office in the White House. Let me say that again. I think it's time for God's people to quit focusing so much time on which party is in the White House and let's focus more on praying for whoever God allows to be in that White House that we can have a productive life in this, in this world that we can be able to be about the Father's business and not about the business of man but the business of Almighty God because this country as much as I love this country and I've traveled and God has blessed but in, and there's no other country like this one in the world and, and there are times that I've traveled to some countries came back and I just wanted to kiss the ground when I got here it's like oh praise you Jesus at the same time this country is not God We have to pray for our country. We, we love our country, but we need to realize that first and foremost, we are children of the kingdom of heaven. You do what you can. You vote according to your conscience, but you live according to the dictates of the word of God. And the scripture says that we pray for everyone, for kings and all those in our authority. Why? That we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good, and it pleases God, our Savior. Who wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth? 
It's important to understand that we don't have to agree with the magistrates. We don't have to agree with what's going on. We don't even have to agree with some of the laws that are being passed. But we do know that if they're not contradictory to the word of God, we need to pray. We need to pray hard. We need to pray effectively. We need to pray fervently for our leaders in this world that that we can have a life that is full of uh, personal freedom, that we can share the gospel with anybody anywhere we want because I'm not a prophet but I do believe that the day is coming when you're not going to have that freedom and we need to use it and utilize it while we do he goes on to say to be obedient to, to ready to do whatever is good to do whatever to be ready to do whatever is good focus on how we can bless other people Doing good things. How can we bless somebody else? How, when was the last time, I'm trying to think, when was the last time I got up and thought, wow, how can I serve people today? I usually say, where's my cup of coffee? What are you saying? To be ready to do whatever is good, to serve other people. He's not saying just be a servant because you can be a servant and and do it grudgingly. You don't want to be a servant. But what he's really talking about is the spirit of a bond servant. You know what a bond servant is? I'm so glad you asked. I'm going to tell you. Because a bond servant was, was a servant if they were serving somebody else, if they were in the employment of somebody else, and, and at the end of their time of servitude, if they really liked serving with this person, they could go to him and say, I like being in your, uh, under you, and, and I like being your servant. I want to serve you willingly for the rest of my life. And they would take an all, and they would punch a hole in their ear and it reminded everybody that they were a servant that willingly was serving not begrudgingly but because they loved their master scripture here Paul's trying to tell Titus look man you need to remind people that we serve we serve humanity and, 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 and we try to do what is good but we serve the Lord because we are bond servants because we serve out of love We just want to bless. We just want to encourage. We just want to strengthen. We just want to bring healing. We just want people to walk away from our conversation in a better spiritual condition than when they walked in. To live a life of a bondservant. And he goes on to say, to slander no one. That means to gossip. Can you imagine how different our world would be if we didn't have gossip? Well, for one, you wouldn't have People Magazine. And you wouldn't have uh, entertainment tonight. There's a lot of things that, that are in our world. You wouldn't have 99% of the newscasts. Praise God, hallelujah. Think about how many things wouldn't exist if there was no gossip. Innuendos or speaking things that aren't necessarily true or maybe they are true but you're speaking them before you know the facts slander destroys you know slander gossip is one of the things that God speaks of more in the scripture about hating and detesting than he does anything else Philippians 4 8 listen to this 
Paul says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. What is he telling us? Focus your mind on the things that are good. And you say, Pastor, you're sounding like Pollyanna. Well, maybe we need to be a little more like Pollyanna. Maybe we need to whirl in a, in a world of, of uh, pessimism and, and negativity. Maybe we, maybe we need to be that shining star of optimism. And to think the best of people and to, and to look at people and, 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 and hold them in regard. And he says... To be peaceful and considerate. And to always be gentle toward everyone. Isn't that amazing? To be peaceful and considerate just means to have a soft answer. Sometimes that, that I, can, I can consider others when I, when I try to figure out what their life is like. It's kind of hard sometimes. It's easy to... But have you ever tried to put yourself in somebody else's shoes? And see what their life is like? It helps you. And to show humility or gentleness toward everyone. In other words, that just simply means to be fair, to treat others the way you would want to be treated, to have a spirit of helpfulness and grace. You know what helps me on that one? One line. But for the grace of God, there go I. But for the grace of God. See, when we, when we start thinking in eternal perspective, a lot of other things just fade away. I'm going to ask our praise team to come back. I had a, years ago, years ago, uh, uh, we were with a, group, with a group of people, and they believed that holiness this is basically what we're talking about, what Titus is telling Timothy. It was about the way you dressed. They used to call it a holiness standard. You know, you had to dress a certain way and you wear your hair a certain way. You couldn't smoke or chew or run with those that do. Uh, all, that, all that good stuff, right? And my wife had a great, great question. She said, well, if... if Holiness is, is, you know, if they see you, how holy you are by the way you live, by the, the way you dress, how does a blind person know if you're holy? Isn't that a great question? And the truth is, it's nothing about the way you look on the outside. It's about the character that you have on the inside. Paul was telling Titus, Titus, remind the people to be godly. To live like Jesus. Not just on the outside, but have a compassionate spirit toward all. To love all, to encourage all, to bless all, to strengthen all, to pray for all. Would you stand with me? You know, one of the things that I am, I'm, I'm tired of the adversary picking on God's people. I'm tired of him doing that. 
and the way to fight back, the way to, to beat him is by being like Christ. By changing the way we think and not allowing the adversary to get into our minds and into our hearts. To realize that, that Christ has given us everything for victorious life here. It's holiness. Because holiness profits not only in this life, but in the life to come. When I was younger, I, have, I had uh, three old nieces. They were just stair-step nieces. Uh, you know, my, my oldest sister uh, married when I was just uh, a few months old. So I grew up with my nieces. You think that's a big gap. Yeah, there it is. But my younger brother has nieces that are older than he is. But anyway, they were all three running around, and the two younger, older ones were chasing the little one. You know how little kids do. They run around the house, and they were screaming and yelling and running around chasing her, and she was screaming. And, and, and I remember she got halfway under the bed, and all you could see was her booty sticking out. And I heard her voice say, wait a minute. I can beat you up. And she crawled out and started chasing them, and they started screaming, and she started chasing after them. I think it's time that, that, that God's people quit trying to crawl under the bed, stop for a minute, and say, wait a minute. I don't have to run. I don't have to be chased by you. I think I'm going to start chasing you around a little bit, Satan. When you want to have a negative spirit, I'm going to be full of joy. When you want me to be down, I'm going to be up. When you want me to be sad, I'm going to be happy. When, I, when you want me to be negative, I'm going to be positive because I am the child of God. Tired of the adversary. It's time that we take it back. And it all happens through you choose to do it. You subject yourself to the presence of the living God in your life. I want to encourage you if you will do that. I don't care what you're thinking, what you're feeling, what has happened. If you will allow the presence of God, that, that spirit that Christ had to live in you and to rule and reign in you, you're going to see life from a different perspective. You're going to see that negativity go away and you're going to see a spirit of optimism and joy fill your heart. That person that you're having a trouble with and you're always trying to struggle with them, you're going to look at them with love and understanding and compassion because you're no longer following after your own ways but after the Spirit of God. Come on, let's be the church. Can we do it? Let's be the church. You guys forgot I, I was raised Pentecostal. Come on. We're the church. We're the church. We're the church. We're the church. Let's let God be God living and ruling and reigning in our lives. And let's see what God will do for us. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's worship the Lord.